All right. Welcome to episode 41 of the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. My name is Daniel Meisler, and uh, I've been gone for a while. I've been working on this book and uh, took a bit of a pause, but got enough hate mail basically saying, WTF, I want to hear the podcast that I decided to do one. It'll be a little shorter than usual, I think, maybe. Um, But let's get into it. So first, InfoSec News and Articles. So NSA hacking tools were supposedly leaked um, recently. It looks like they were um, leaked, and it looks like it was from the Russians. That That's what Edward Snowden and a bunch of other people uh, believe happened, is that the Russians were the ones who leaked it. And there's a bunch of sort of just uh, thoughts around, like, why would they do it now? Evidently, the leak was from back in, like, 2013, and the question is, why would they release it now if they found the tools in 2013? Um, the common sort of thread on like what happened is that when you are one of these state actors um, or even other types of teams, basically you have these boxes that you take over and as you compromise them, you, you leave your tools on them. And then other teams come by and they go after those same boxes to find your tools and to find your, uh, you know, the tool sets that you use, ways of identifying that it was, in fact, you and your team that were there. So um, the idea is that one of those boxes was compromised. They got the tools and um, at, at some point. But again, the question remains, why would they release it now? And evidently, the idea is something around it being linked to the DNC debate or the DNC uh, drama around that hack. So really interesting to see. Um, It's very curious to hear Snowden talking about this because, of course, he's in Russia and uh, have to imagine there's some sort of pressure on him to to either say or not say certain things, but he seems to be just uh, coming out with it. Very interesting stuff. Um, There's a new attack um, called Flip. Feng Shui attack. Not sure how official that name is, but that's what a lot of people are calling it. Basically allows you as a attacker virtual machine on a hypervisor to attack another victim virtual machine. So a, a attacker guest attacking a victim guest on the same hypervisor and to modify memory. And it has to do with the way memory is collapsed and sort of consolidated. But it basically allows an attacker to change memory space for a victim on the same hypervisor. And of course, you're not supposed to be able to move across guests like that um, because it makes virtualization a lot more insecure. But in this case, you could do some pretty nasty stuff, including changing SSH keys or GPG keys and basically gaining access to encrypted content um, on another system. So really cool um, attack, which basically it, it involved uh, from the description it involved multiple like, you know, hotel key room doors type type attacks where you got to chain together multiple small things. But it seems very theoretical, but ultimately they were able to do something very concrete. So that was cool. Uh, Linux TCP flaw leaves 80% of phones open to spying. And this is Android phones. Forgot to put that in there. 
basically, there was a patch for this problem in um, in Linux, but it was not properly applied to uh, Android. And this is actually leaving like 80% of Android phones uh, available to spying. Um, and, and you basically, you need a number of things to be able to do this interception. Um, and the defense for it is basically encryption and VPN uh, gets you out of that. Video jacking. Um, so basically any place you are that's kind of a public location and there's like a power cord or a, uh, you know, like an iPhone cord. Uh to plug your phone in and charge, you need to really watch out for that because it's also a video feed. It's basically one feed to rule them all, right? It's it's very powerful interface. Um, and what a lot of people are doing is actually charging your phone, but also pulling video off your phone. So like when you go to unlock it or you type anything into it, they're actually watching that and capturing it. Uh, so it's pretty nasty. It's called video jacking. And you really need to just, it's just reiterating the fact that you need to uh, not be plugging your phone into cords that you don't have full control over. Um, Duo releases a study that says phishing works so well because companies don't update their browsers and operating systems. Well, yeah. But this is a really, really good point because a lot of people are like, how do I defend against hacking? A lot of cases your front facing shield array or whatever is it's your, uh, it's your browser, right? It's your email client and it's your operating system that processes stuff that comes in from those things. And if they are a couple weeks behind or a couple months behind or a year behind, that just gives these phishing emails that much more surface area to come at you with uh, with the malware that they string together, whether it's, um, you know, watering hole or whatever kind of attack that they use. So if you are in charge of some sort of uh, infrastructure and you're trying to defend against phishing, there are a few things you could do. You can do user awareness and stuff like that. But man, you got to be patched and you got to be really actively patched. Um, now, someone with, you know, O'Day can still get you. Uh, because, you know, you could be fully patched and still get compromised. But most of the stuff is like weeks or months old or, you know, a year or two old. And it still gets in because people aren't patched. So just got to keep that in mind. Um, point of sale malware um, attack at Starwood, Marriott, Hyatt, and Intercontinental Hotels. A uh, bunch of accounts were compromised because of this. Uh, NIST launches a draft of digital authentication guidelines. So this is pretty big news. They're basically giving guidance on passwords and how often to rotate them. Um, and one of the big sort of announcements in there or big news items is that they're evidently pushing back on people rotating passwords so often, basically saying that they don't need to. Uh, so evidently they did a bunch of research on that. People will be probably pretty happy to hear it. Um, and these documents usually push the industry quite a bit because these are requirements that are going to go into pretty much all government systems. And the private industry often looks at them and implements them at least partially as well. Apple launches a bug bounty program and did a talk on internal iOS security. So this was at Black Hat. Um, really cool talk. It's actually up 
um, on YouTube already. Uh, Black Hat already put out their talks, uh, or a lot of them, and so you can already go and see them for free. And this is one you definitely want to see. So one, they talked a lot about internal iOS security, specifically around how they manage um, like iCloud, like iCloud keychain, right? Which is like your most private sensitive, like secrets and passwords and everything. How they keep that private to you, but still move it all over the place between like the client and the cloud um, and all, all the various clients that you use, including your phones and your various laptops and your, and your home desktop or whatever you use. Um, and they're basically talking about, we can keep it safe, not only from hackers getting it, but we're not even <clears throat> able to see it or get to it. And they describe how they build that system. So that was super cool part of it. And the other one, at the end, they have this big announcement, which is they announced the bug bounty program. And for major vulns in like the architecture of the devices, like hardware attacks, uh, it was up to 200K in, um, in bounty. Uh, someone came after that immediately and basically said, we'll give 500K. Um, so it's always sort of a battle. Kind of a side note there is that um, a lot of people are saying, you know, no one is stopping them from selling to the bad guys for that $200,000 um, bug. So they sell it to Apple. They have this cool, you know, issue that gets them jailbreak or whatever. They sell it to Apple. They get the 200 grand, but they also sell it to three other places who go and create a jailbreak. Um, it is bad that someone can do that, but it's also kind of okay because at least Apple gets to know about it along with everyone else and not months afterwards. So uh, that's InfoSec. Um, technology news and articles. Um, there's some product called like Apollo, um, which raises a, an EM shield around an area that sends unauthorized drones commands to turn around and go home. Um, I'm curious about this because I don't understand how it's, it seems like it'd have to be pretty malicious to, it would have to understand the type of drone it is. Um, I, I didn't read any of the details, but it, it's really fascinating that this stuff is already sort of starting to materialize uh, because I have so many like abuse cases around drones and what they could be used for and dropped on people's heads and poison darts and all sorts of stuff. But um, it'll be really interesting to see this sort of play out. Uh, Twitter is introducing a quality filter to clean up your timeline. So evidently you can set like, I don't know what the criteria is going to be, but at least clean up your timeline some. That should be really good. Be good for me, definitely. Um, Facebook is building its own Steam style gaming platform. So this is pretty cool. Um, Steam is uh, basically a platform that has tons of games in it and it's kind of unified. And Facebook is building their own. It's a desktop platform. And uh, I bet it's going to crush just because they already have such a user base that they can kind of mi migrate over to it. Um, Apple News and Articles. Uh, Tim Cook says AI and augmented reality are core technologies for Apple's future. That makes me happy. Um, Apple is hiring a Lyrics curation team. So they are actually... Um, Working on a uh, 
basically having lyrics in all songs. I, I assume that has to be the goal, um, but they're working on building a team that's going to go and actually make that happen because there's tons of sources out there. And if you look at the lyrics that they produce, they, you know, they vary quite a bit. They have, you know, varied quality. And of course, the reason they probably haven't done it already is because it's hard and evidently they're now tackling it. So that's cool. Uh, NASA launched an Apple TV app that includes real-time view of the Earth. Um, I just got like a super badass TV. It's like OLED 65-inch. And I think a lot of – I don't watch much TV um, except for like shows that I just binge through. But uh, I kind of want to put this app on there and just see the Earth. I like – it's ordered a globe as well. So there'll be like a globe next to it. And then the TV is showing like a live view of the earth from, you know, above. And then um, next to it, I got my picture of the, uh, the deep field image uh, blown up on a, on a metal sort of display. Just love space and perspective and that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, what do we got here? So Apple news, uh, miscellaneous news and articles. NASA launched app. Oh, that's the one I just talked about. All right, exploring ideas. All right, this is the cool part. All right, so ideas for this time. Red team, blue team, presentation with Ryan O'Horo. So if you guys don't know Ryan O'Horo, he is a um, colleague of mine at IOActive, and he's uh, super, super cool, uh, super smart guy. He's um, on the offensive side, does a lot of pen testing and uh just really, really smart about like the different ways he approaches things. Uh, we're working together on the red team practice at IOActive. And uh, we did a talk. I was kind of a, I was kind of a panel kind of a talk, but um, it was just two of us. So I guess it was a talk, but um, it was cool. It had really good attendance in the IOASIS. And we talked about a few different things. Uh, one of them was, the actual definition of a red team, which uh, I found fascinating. I did some research prior to doing the talk. And um, one of the coolest things I found was the actual definition, which I really loved, which was, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like um, an external team focused on solving a problem or, or no, maximizing the efficiency of an organization. So it is so broad, and I call this the lowercase red team because it applies to so many things, right? Um, so it's an external team, and its only mission is to make that organization more effective. Um, so this sort of broad approach, when you collapse it down into a corporate team and you start talking about InfoSec, now it becomes capital red team. Um, as we all know it in infosec right and other other spaces might you know define it differently but there um, what I did was I did a blog post a while back about um, I called it five attributes of an effective corporate red team and we went down these uh, quite a bit during the talk so the first one was organizational independence this is basically not, having the org shut you down after a short amount of time and say you can't use you know scanning tools and you can only scan during these windows. So they start off by saying, oh yeah, you have all the training, you have all the tools, you have all the window, you have all the support and do anything you want because we want to 
behave exactly like attackers, right? And then two weeks later, two months later, a year later, all those things slowly one by one get shut down. And pretty soon you have one tiny window. You can't use real tools. Uh, you have to let everyone know that you're attacking. And it's like you lose all the power of being an independent org as a red team. And it basically just makes you ineffective. Uh, number two, defensive coordination. This is basically the conversation around red team, blue team. Defensive coordination means if you are not as a red team helping the blue team improve, and if you, it goes back to this, the previous conversation, right? The previous definition of lowercase red team. You are helping that org become more effective. That is the bottom line. That org is the blue team in this case. So defensive coordination means if you are not helping the blue team become more effective as part of the main mission, as the only main mission of the red team, then you are not doing a real red team. And that's, that's kind of the, the way we structure that. So three, continuous operation. Um, if <laughs> So this is one that's like a super pet peeve. People call uh, a pen test. They, they call some random vendor who probably just runs Nessus or whatever. And they're like, oh, I need a pen test. They're like, yeah, sure. They send someone out, just got out of college, scan your external range with Nessus or whatever, your internal range. And they're like, boom, there's your pen test. Then that manager who just had that done goes to some other manager in a meeting or whatever. And they're like, oh, we just had a red team done. Yeah, we didn't have too many volumes. We're in good shape. No, that's not a red team. It's not even a pen test. And a red team and a pen test are different. Continuous operation means that you are always being attacked. The blue team, assuming you have one, does not know when they see a blip on the radar if that is a real attacker or if that is the red team. It could be either, and either one is bad for them. There's no window. There's no like, oh, this is definitely not the red team because they're not allowed to attack right now. It should always be on their minds that it's possible that this is a red team who's about to massively embarrass them, right? And that shouldn't be the impetus of trying to embarrass the, the blue team, but they should feel bad if the red team gets in. That's just natural. And that should always be a concern for them, just the same way as it would be if it were a real attacker. So continuous is absolutely a must. Adversary emulation. You can't be running the same tools that all blue team and all red, pe red team people know and call that a red team. Adversary emulation means a, a good red team is studying and researching what real attackers are doing, what real cyber criminals are doing, what real hacktivists are doing, if, if that's a threat model you need to worry about. Um, state actors, um, whoever else, whoever else you're worried about, you need to be studying their cutting edge, like top tier techniques and bringing those campaigns into your your, your uh, bag of tricks and using that as part of your campaigns. So you can't be running Nessus. You can't be do, doing the same old Metasploit attacks or whatever. You, you, you don't want to be looking like a, a blue team pen tester or a run-of-the-mill pen tester that everyone knows, that the blue team knows to look for those techniques. You want to be using different malware to get in, um, or different tool, tools to get in, um, exploit kits, 
if you have them custom made or using one or whatever it is, um, you want to be using different techniques to hold ground, to move laterally, um, to do exfiltration. You want to match those as much as you can to the actual attackers that you're emulating. Number five, measuring efficacy. So you, you have to have some way of knowing if you're doing a good job, right? If the blue team gets really, really good and the red team gets very, very good, you, you'll start to have fewer incidents, right? And it'll be like, oh, are we doing a good job or are we doing worse? Because now it's getting quieter. You know, it could be that getting quieter is a very good thing because there's not much push and pull in both directions. Or it could be that people aren't trying hard enough. Like lots of different ways to do it, but measuring the efficacy of a red team um, which is also combined with the efficacy of the blue team is really important. Um, and, and it's important that it's done right. So uh, that was that piece. And we went through that, you know, it was an hour, hour and a half that we talked about it with, you know, a group of like 20 people. And it was just really, really good conversation. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, you should also follow uh, Ryan. Um Actually, can't remember his uh, his handle right now. It's like Red Team something. But um, anyway, just look for Ryan O'Horo and IOActive and Twitter, and you'll you'll find him. Um, it's Red Team something. Anyway, all right. Next one is um, public cloud considered more secure than corporate data centers. Yeah, so this was an article that just came out, and uh, I just decided to put it in this section just so I could say a couple words about it. But it's really interesting to hear internal teams talk about there's no way public cloud could be more secure than a corporate data center because public's in the public, and it's infrastructure you don't own, and it's just it's way more possible to be secure if you have an internal team and you control all the hardware and you control all the software and you, you control all these things and you have full control and blah, blah, blah. Right. My answer to that is yes, it is possible for it to be more secure. If you do 100 out of a hundred on internal and 100 out of a hundred on, on cloud, maybe, maybe that gets you more security. If it's done internal, the problem is, public cloud tends to be at like a 70 as a default. And this is not an absolute, but, but bear with me here. So companies like Amazon, they put so much effort into having as secure of defaults as possible. And they're so experienced at doing this stuff at scale that just throwing your stuff in there and configuring a few things it's likely to be more secure and, and stay secure for longer than if you deploy into some random data center internally and no one ever looks at it, no one ever patches, no one ever does anything. It's like the decay rate and even maybe the initial state um, is just better in the public cloud because that's what they do. Um, whereas you need a dedicated team and lots of attention to keep that level of still not great security, but of decent security internally. So, so the bottom line is practically or ideally, let's say ideally first, ideally 
yes, internal would be better if you had a full team and full attention and whatever. But practically in the real world, it's more likely that public cloud or whatever type of cloud probably gets you as much or more security because it's designed to be used in that way and is designed not to require this giant team to maintain its security. Now that doesn't mean you could just deploy to the cloud and everything will be fine, it'll be secure. That is not true. And there are tons of ways to attack public cloud and misconfiguration and people putting data in insecure instances with horrible authentication. And then they dump their corporate data in it and it's not encrypted and it gets popped and now the data is gone. So like there are all sorts of drama with cloud services and people doing it wrong. What I'm saying is it's quite possible that it's worse on the inside or in internal data centers. So uh, that's that one. Um, unsubscribe. Here's the next one. Unsubscribe spear phishing. This is crazy. So I was going through my email a couple days ago, or I guess a couple weeks ago, and I'm getting this email and I'm like, oh, this is dumb. Unsubscribe. Look at the next one. Oh, this is dumb. Unsubscribe. And finally, I'm like, wait a minute. What the hell am I doing? I open up an email. I see it looks legit. I remember kind of dealing with this company and I immediately hit unsubscribe. Well, where does that link take me? Why in the hell am I just clicking a link? If, I, if there was a link that said download the sales brochure, I'd be like, oh, that sounds like phishing. If I saw a link that said click here to transfer money to fucking Nigeria, I'd be like, oh, that sounds fishy. Uh, no pun intended. But um, it would be obvious, right? But if it says unsubscribe and it's at the bottom in a very small font, completely legit. No problem. That could not possibly be a malicious link because it's labeled unsubscribe and it's at the bottom and it's center aligned, right? And I'm like, man, that would be nasty. We should just do a full campaign of, of, attacks against special people, you know, spear phishing or whatever. And you could just use like a legitimate looking, whatever RSA email. That's like, Hey, do you want to hear about this new product? And just spam them with it like twice a day. And finally they get pissed off and they click the unsubscribe link because they figure, Oh, I must've talked to them at, at RSA and they must be you know, replying back and I must be on their list. So let me click unsubscribe. Boom. Malware. That could get so many people in IT and even in InfoSec. So I just wanted to call it out. Um, I'm not sure if I did a blog post on it yet. I think I did. Um, all right. So that is it for exploring ideas. InfoSec tools, DNMAP, distributed NMAP. So you build clients, you run your NMAP, and it runs from all these different clients on different systems and then brings the results back to you. Pretty sick. Uh Serpico, maybe Serpico, um, report writing and collaboration tools. So basically you can build, uh, you can jointly build pen test reports and incorporate results from different types of tools. And it's a free tool. Uh, Metapacket is a company that's actually building a tool to monitor outbound traffic for signs of malicious behavior. And I 
think it's basically the idea is that it's very hard to trick to make it look like it's legit behavior when it's actually malicious. And that's like their whole thing that they're doing. Um, sounds pretty cool as a company. Uh, InfoSec talks, the black hat 2016 videos have been released at least to some degree. And I got the link here in the notes, uh, announcements close to finishing my book. I'm like 95% done. Uh, launched our advisory service practice at IOActive. So this was really cool. This is a big thing that happened in Vegas. Spent like two days in the IOASIS talking about it. Uh, basic concept for the initial offering is, is measuring risk within an organization based on what an attacker would do, based on the adversary instead of an auditor or compliance. So like we have all these customers, I've always had all these customers, you know, going back 15, 20 years, who are uh, busy. They're busy as hell. They, they're buying all these products. This is especially true now. They're buying tons of products. They have a giant team. They got all this stuff going on. They're super busy. And they're like, oh, I, they feel inside. I'm busy. Therefore, I must be secure. Right? And then, uh, so I built this system, this tool, which we use at IOActive. And basically, um, it does an analysis of your current security state based on not on your audit level or your compliance level or how you do on some you know certification or standard, but it actually looks at your org from the position of a pen tester or an actual attacker and how they would attack you and then rate you with that. And what's really cool is... Uh, so we've run it a, a, a bunch of against a bunch of orgs and the way it works is so they'll have one view of where they are. They're like, it's like a through F, right? So they'll be thinking, Oh, I'm probably like an A, A, B, B, C, A, B or whatever. Let's just say we only did that number of modules. They're like, I probably have like a B plus and I'm trying to get to an A minus maybe next year I'll be a, an A plus or something. So we run this tool. Most orgs we look at, we're talking pure D's and F's. So they just got done presenting to somebody that they're in the A's or the B's with a couple of C's. We run this tool, which is from an, an attacker perspective, an adversary perspective, and they have D's and F's across the board with maybe a C somewhere. And they're like, well, holy crap. And then they challenge, okay, how did how did you come up with this? And I show them the things that we look at from the attacker perspective. And they're like, holy crap, that is legit. Like I've never had anyone push back on a, on an assessment point of what we looked at or what we tested. And uh, it's powerful because it's two separate views of the world. It's one from the attacker perspective and one from the auditor perspective. And if auditors are keeping you up at night, hire a separate team to work with them. And, you know, focus your energy on actual attackers who are going to cause a breach. So that was that one. Um, what else is here? Um, oh, writing a bunch of cool code that I should be able to tell you about soon. This is a kind of a secret side project thing. I'm really excited about it. Going to hopefully talk about it more soon. Summary and recommendations. If people start throwing around red team, blue team, oh, purple team, goodness. If someone starts saying purple team, 
And the whole purpose of the purple team is to get the red team to talk to the blue team. No, 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 no. Um, a, a red team is only there for the blue team. If the red team is not talking to the blue team, it is a bad red team. If you bring in a purple team to make the red team talk to the blue team, then you have added extra bulk, unnatural bulk to an org that just needs to be fixed fundamentally. The way to fix that problem is to remind the red team that they are not there for the red team, they are there for the blue team. And that if they are not cooperating, then they are a bad team. And you, that's how you fix this. Not by adding a completely unnatural and separate, disparate purple team that's designed to make them talk to each other. That's just, it's just not natural. It's not the right way to approach it, in my opinion. Um, all right. So that was summary of recommendations. Recommended content. Um, I got the Flip Feng Shui article in here. And, uh, oh, this cool little link called Web Design in Four Minutes. Uh, I won't describe it. You just have to go to it and check it out. It's very cool. Um, and that is it for this episode. I really appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you caring enough to flame me with WTFs about going like a month and a half or two months without doing one. Um, this one was short because I am still trying to finish this, uh, this book and get it out there, but I really hope you guys will like it once it does come out. Um, and I am getting pretty close, but, um, that's it for this episode. I am going to try to do another one next week and basically keep the, uh, keep the show going as it was uh, normally before. Um, and until then, uh, hope you have a good one.